Hey, Biggs here. It's the inevitable return of the summer rerun. Wasn't able to make the podcast last night, so I figured I'd give you a couple episodes of Box Office Battle, which you may or may not have heard from a couple years ago. Uh, this first episode I'm going to play is going to be relevant next week because I'm going to be reviewing Uncle Drew. And so this is two basketball movies. And so I won't have to go so in-depth into it next week. You can get all the in-depthness. Is that a word? In-depthness? Well, it is now. You can get all the in-depthness that you need without me rambling on and on about those two movies. So enjoy. Welcome to Box Office Battle, where we take underappreciated movies, forgotten classics, and box office bombs and pit them against each other for the right to be on Mount Valhalla. I'm Biggs. I'm The Beard. I'm Zach. So today we're doing two basketball movies, yeah. continuing the sports theme a little bit. I'm going to do Fast Break with Gabe Kaplan. And Zach's going to yawn. <sighs> <laughs> he really didn't like Fast Break. <laughs> and I'm going to talk about Amazing Grace and Chuck with uh, Gregory Peck, Jamie Lee Curtis, William Peterson, and Alex English. Yeah. Mine's got Bernard King. <laughs> <laughs> and Gabe Kaplan. Did That's right. <laughs> okay. So my movie, it picks up in New York. We see Gabe Kaplan doing a pickup game with a couple of guys. And he's doing little coaching things with this guy. It's like he's telling him, I can tell where you're going to move. Like you're moving your eyes. And he's already kind of a coach on the floor. And so he gets back to his apartment and things aren't going so great with his old lady. They're getting in some arguments. And then he gets a phone call. And so a call, a little known college in Nevada is calling him up trying to get him for a job interview. So he goes down and they're basically telling him that he'll he'll get a shot as their basketball coach. And so for the first year, he'll get paid $50 a game that they win. <laughs> and so he negotiates it up to $60 a game. And if they beat Nevada State, who they're not scheduled to play, then he will get a three-year contract. He's allowed to recruit any players that he can get. And so he immediately goes to the streets. Uh, he picks up a guy named DC who's kind of, he lives in a really rundown house and doesn't really like to talk a lot, like gets upset at everybody. He recruits a lady named Swish who likes to dress like a man. And so she pretends like she's a man the entire time. He recruits a guy named Preacher, which is, a, they all have real That's names, a- but they just use their nicknames and their <laughs> nicknames are on their jerseys, which I love. Which is the best. <laughs> I so love good. nicknames on jerseys. Yeah, yeah. So they get this guy named Preacher who's preaching at this kind of far out there uh, church. And it turns out he's got to leave town because basically he fooled around with a 15 year old. <laughs> and by the way, he's 19, so it's bad, but it's not that bad. It's not horrid. <laughs> because he, he mentions they fooled around the 15 year old and they're looking at him like he's terrible. He's like, What was I supposed to do? I'm 19. <laughs> so he's a 19 year old preacher who's now on the run. So he takes it on, and they get another guy, played by Bernard King, named Hustler. And Hustler is a great hustler of pool. And he winds up, he can't hustle anymore in New York because a bar owner decides, for reasons unknown, that he's not going to let him hustle pool anymore anywhere in New York. So You're blacklisted. Basically, yeah. So... 
They all kick off to Nevada. So this, um, his girlfriend also kicks him out because he says he doesn't tell her exactly how much money he's getting. He says twenty five hundred. So he's basically assuming he's going to win every game, essentially, with this estimate. And so he says, well, I'll just dip into the money we saved. And she says, that's for our house. We're not getting into it. And he goes, well, it's half mine. So she winds up kicking him out. He goes and stays with his mom for the remainder of the time in New York while he's recruiting. And then they all get in a car and go off to Nevada together. So immediately when they're in the car, some uh, some sirens come up behind them. And the guys are smoking pot. So they have to get rid of it. And and Gabe Kaplan keeps yelling at him, don't throw it out the window. You can't throw it out the window. They're like, what are we supposed to do with it? He's like, eat it. He has one pound of weed. <laughs> so all five of them, including Gabe Kaplan, who doesn't smoke, like eat this pound of weed. And then it turns out it's a fire truck going by. <laughs> so they're pretty high. Anyway, <laughs> so they get to the college. Um, they start looking at the white boys who are who are lining up to make the team. And we get two characters. One's name escapes me but he's basically like the defensive specialist he's just there to bother everybody and get them to not shoot well and the other one is a guy named bull who's basically he was a middle linebacker and the football team failed at the college and so he decided he'd try a basketball so he fouls a lot and he looks he's built like a bull so it's also an appropriate nickname so they win immediately. There's no, there's no bad news bear kind of not montage of them getting better and better. They just win right out of the gate and they <laughs> keep winning. They have all kinds of hardships. Like DC finds that he's getting feelings for Swish, which is a problem for him until he realizes that Swish is a girl. Which, <laughs> He goes through all season not realizing that Switch is a girl. Um, eventually, they try and get the the coach for university or not University of Nevada, but for Nevada State, which I assume is a fictional college. But I did no research into this movie, so I don't know. Basically, the coach for Nevada State is squeaky clean. He hires a political side major to like keep tabs on him. And the guy goes way overboard. He's like he's doing wiretaps on his phone. He He's like taught, like asking if he could get some money to hire a hooker to hit on him to like put a wedge in their marriage and all this. He's like, you tap their phone. <laughs> like Gabe Kaplan's just horrified at this. So finally they figure out Gabe Kaplan kind of, he gets an interview with Time Magazine. He finds a way to kind of make him think that um, he's talking garbage about the coach, even though he's not and keeps retracting it. So he gets coach on the phone and smooth talks him a little bit, gets him to come down to watch a game. And he's just insulting towards the team when he's watching the game. So he starts playing pool. And that's where Hustler comes in. So Bernard <laughs> King, who you don't see shoot a whole lot in the movie, you see him hustle a lot in this movie. Dude. And he hustles the coach, and he winds up owing him $5,000. And so to settle the debt, they decide to play the basketball game, and the debt will be forgiven. Now at the big game, it turns out that there's some cops that show up, and they're waiting to get DC and take him back for a crime that he had committed. And so DC's really nervous about it, but Gabe Kaplan talks, talks the... Uh, uh, police officer into waiting till after the game then at the, around the same time preacher also realizes that some of the crazy people that are out to shoot him because of him nailing the 15 year old are also at the game <laughs> 
So DC, Gabe Kaplan tells DC that, yeah, I, uh, I, I just wanted you to know. And he says this right before the fourth quarter starts. But he says, I just wanted you to know that we're waiting till after the game before the police take you. And so DC like suddenly gets a leg injury where there's nothing wrong with them at all. And so DC's thinking about leaving and he slips out and he sees the guy waiting for Preacher. So he sneaks up behind him in the bushes and he like basically ties him up with his jersey and then he comes back into the game in his jersey which I didn't quite understand (laughs) and they wind up winning the big game and then DC just like it's a first offense and so they basically tell him it'll be a slap in the wrist and then the coach basically talks him out of uh, doing or the coach the the dean of the university talks the cop out of even doing anything at all to him so it it all ends happily and Swish and DC wind up together Aww, yeah so it's romanticized to and Gabe Kaplan's wife shows up to the game. Yay! And she decides to move to Nevada with him. <laughs> so, hooray! Yay, yay. So Amazing Grace and Chuck uh, centers on a 12-year-old boy from Montana named Chuck, the titular Chuck. Uh, Great Falls, right? Yes, Great Falls. He's a uh, a little league pitcher and star pitcher for his team and uh, the son of a military jet pilot. And he ends up seeing some Minutemen missiles at an airbase. And he also hears a story about uh, the the speed and efficiency of these bombs would take anything out before a fork could hit the floor. And he starts having dreams about drop dropping forks, basically, and then death. <laughs> and uh, he decides he's going to protest nuclear weapons by uh, refusing to play baseball again until nuclear weapons are, are gone. And uh, this catches the eye of Boston Celtics star Amazing Grace Smith, uh, played he's by Alex the 86 English. Celtics. And yeah, he was. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Amazing Grace Smith is a superstar, and this catches on to him, and he... Uh, it sort of alights something in him, something to fight for. And he says he's not going to play basketball again until nuclear weapons are gone. And a whole bunch of pro athletes start joining the cause. And they even go out to Montana and buy a barn and renovate it into a home for the uh, for the athletes. And Jamie Lee Curtis, uh, Amazing Grace's agent, doesn't really get it, but she decides to support him anyway. We, we build to a climax where President Gregory Peck comes and he explains to Chuck that... He he admires his efforts and he admires his his moral fiber, but he also walks him through the logistic nightmare of immediate disarmament, and that's basically it. I mean, but as I recall, it doesn't doesn't Chuck not bend at that pressure? Yeah, either? Chuck does not bend. Yeah, yeah, Chuck is not going he's to a play stupid baseball. Stupid child, <laughs> he does not get it. <laughs> he does not get it, but it's he. I think he appreciates Gregory Peck making the effort. Okay. I mean, the, there's not much to the plot. I, there really is not. The plot is pretty straightforward to this movie. So here's the thing. I told you about all of the all the fun little things about the plot that were happening and this, the skeleton of the outline. The basketball is so good in this movie, you guys. They just, it's so fun to watch like an old style game where the three point line didn't exist and so they have to constantly slash to the basket and just watching all those afros do all kinds <laughs> of amazing things was a lot of fun. Um, 
Yeah, I just I can't speak highly enough about it. It was the thing that I really liked about it was the basketball rules. Other than the jersey nicknames, which I talked about, um, they're pretty accurate rules. Like they actually call actual fouls that happen. They don't have little mistakes like in Teen Wolf, where the guys allowed to stand on the baseline and glare at the person shooting the free throw. <laughs> There's none of that shit. Like it's actual basketball rules. Clearly, the writer had a handle on the sport, which I think is important because those little things take you out of a movie yeah when you're watching it like defense is as important as offense in this movie which is another thing that kind of resonated with me like you need defensive guys on a team if you're gonna win and it's nice that there's actually attention paid to making sure that it was actually like a real game you had rebounders you had defenders like everybody had to do a little bit of everything everybody had a role like they could have just done a starting five and left it at that but no they had like a six man and you have other guys who don't really have a contribution in the movie but they're there and you see them playing at certain times especially in scrimmage you know what i mean like it's not the same handful of guys over and over again which is the trap a lot of these sports movies fall into it really feels like a team i'm gonna go in a wildly different direction uh there's a strong legacy of amazing fictional presidents writers tend to want to make their fictional presidents the ideal. You know, they want to make them smart and badass and cool, or they go the opposite direction and they're evil, of course. But when you're writing a good president, you tend to make them the ideal. Gregory Peck is the most underrated fictional president of all time. He's anything anyone would want in a president. He's charming and folksy. He's intelligent. He's willing to listen. He's willing to explain his side. He's willing to compromise. Like He is everything you'd, a- you'd ask for in a president. And it stinks that Chuck doesn't really get it, but I got it. And I would vote for President Gregory Peck. And really, it's a shame for America that we can't vote for President Gregory Pre- Peck. Because, well, first of all, most American presidents are lawyers. And anyone who's seen To Kill a Mockingbird knows that Gregory Peck had an incredible law career early on. Like, this is a man who understands the concept of justice now i love amazing grace and chuck as you guys might have heard on the episode i did the push to zach to cover it it's true but here's the thing it's got like the climatic scene in this is when amazing grace dies it's such a downer dude he becomes a martyr now the climatic scene in my movie is when swish disappears and they're wondering where swish went and she comes back and she had gotten her jersey wet so that her boobs are showing now i like that climatic scene (laughs) not only is it cinematically beautiful but she's also showing who she really is and distracting the other team playing defense it works on so many levels Amazing Grace and Chuck is unsurprisingly the film debut of then Denver Nuggets star Alex English. What is surprising is how naturally he comes across on camera. He he comes across as someone who, while not the most technically amazing actor of all time, he comes across as someone who knows what he's supposed to be doing, who knows how to add a little bit of depth to scenes. He shows for an athlete surprising range, and he gets to hang out with Red Arbok. Like that's a good gig for anyone. I would counter that by saying Bernard King also knocks it out of the park in this one. They never ask him to do anything he can't do, which is amazing when you realize that he's hardly playing basketball in the movie. He's in the scenes, but he's not the guy who scores all the time. That's DC. Like, Hustler, he's hustling pool. And he's absolutely able to hustle pool in the one scene that they show it, but mostly he's there to serve in a lot of comedic scenes. 
and he nails it. Now, a lot, I know a lot of people watch Blue Chips and they'll sort of chuckle at the stuff that Shaquille O'Neal does in that movie. But like Shaquille O'Neal really couldn't act. It's amazing he got <laughs> as many movies as he, as he did. But when you watch this movie, it's surprising that Bernard King didn't get more roles in Hollywood movies. Like maybe if he had played for the Lakers instead of the Bullets or the Knicks, that opportunity would have been afforded. But I watch Fast Break and... I became a real believer in, uh, what's his name? (laughs) Bernard King. (laughs) I want to talk about the uh, director of Amazing Grace and Chuck. This is a a man by the name of Mike Newell. And uh, what really impresses me about his work in this film is his ability to make the closest thing to a modern Frank Capra film I think anyone has, has been able to achieve. I don't think anyone has come as close to capturing that tone and sensibility as Mike Newell, which is incredible from the guy who directed uh, The Man in the Iron Mask and Four Weddings and a Funeral and Donnie Brasco. That's range. And to be able to find his inner Francis Capra and for all intents and purposes, turn Alex English into his Jimmy Stewart is a remarkable achievement. Now, I want to talk about the beautiful cinematography that's in Fast Break. Now, they chose the unusual aspect ratio of 4-3 for this movie. At first, I thought it was because it was a TV movie. became apparent very quickly this was not a TV movie. They don't show boobs in a TV movie. That HBO didn't even exist when this movie came out. <laughs> but you can also tell because they're able to capture the whole court and just... You know, swinging out the ball, the styles, the slashing, the excitement, the way the crowd roars, everything is there in that box. And somehow they were able to frame everything perfectly. It is shot beautifully, way more than a basketball movie has a right to be. And that's why I think this is a really, it's a masterpiece in a way. I mean, I think that saying that it would be in the top 10 sports movies of all time is definitely fair. But I'd probably put it in the top 50 movies of all time. I'm that's that's why it's got a thing in Grantland, dude. That's why it's in the background. You see him twirling a basketball. Gabe Kaplan. Joshua Zelke is the actor who plays young Chuck Murdoch. This was Joshua Zelke's first film. And despite picking up a couple smaller award shows, but still picking up some acting nominations, this was his only film. And I don't know whether it's he couldn't get a job in anything else or whether he didn't pursue any jobs in anything else or whether this movie just didn't get him as much attention from producers or writers or directors as it deserved. But this is one of the better young actor performances you can find, especially considering A, how much of the plot needs him to work and be the extreme moral stance he takes, which is not all that extreme, but extreme for a 12 year old to take. You need someone who, despite their age, can pull off a level of, of wisdom that's really hard to find in young actors who almost always come across as unnatural on camera just because they they don't have the the experience, you know, being on sets and hitting their marks and finding their light. And this kid is not only able to do that, but he is essentially with Alex English, one of the two pillars of this movie. And it's, it's a really great performance and it's a goddamn shame. He didn't work again. I would love to see this guy in something else. And it infuriates me that I can't, you fucked up Hollywood. All I gotta say that remains to be said about fast break is that it's just it's masterful at every level. Let me let me concentrate on the music cuz I haven't really talked about the music that much. Now, 
There is an instrument you might be familiar with. It's the wah pedal. It's connected to the guitar, but it's very much its own instrument in a way. Now, they used the wah pedal to an insane degree in the 70s, but in this movie, it's like a goddamn cherub in heaven. It is phenomenal, dude. The wah music, I seriously feel like I'm just, I'm riding home. On It's been a long trip, but I'm relaxing, I'm unwinding, and there's that soft wah pedal taking me home. Phenomenal. Brandon, I think you will recognize the, the degree of difficulty of the achievement I'm going to talk about right now. This film found a way to make Montana the main setting in a film about professional sports. Think about how insane that is. And the fact that in, within the context of the movie it makes perfect sense is unbelievable to me. Montana shouldn't be anywhere near professional sports with all of our nine people and 400 cows. And yet somehow Montana can be the centerpiece of this movie, again, centering entirely on the world of professional sports. And it kind of makes sense. My movie, on the other hand, centers in Nevada, where you could totally see like college sports <laughs> happening, and it also makes a lot of sense. All right, so I've listened to both these arguments, and I'm going to have to go with uh, the Denver Nuggets on this one. Yeah. With Amazing Grace and Trump. Oh, shit. I, didn't even I think had two strong that. trump cards there. <laughs> I had the Denver Nuggets trump card and the Montana trump card. <laughs> Have you seen either of these? I movies? have seen neither. I have seen about a minute and a half of Fast Break today when my Netflix <laughs> kicked out. Uh, um, it was going to be a tough sell on this one with the kids watching it. Yeah, you don't want your kids watching this movie. <laughs> I was watching it thing. and I eventually plugged in headphones. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I will tell you why. But So I, I assume you didn't see either of these movies. No, I haven't seen either one of these. Okay. So Fast Break would be a satisfactory plus for me, except they say the derogatory F term, which is a cigarette in Britain. Uh, you know what I'm talking a about. Bu- a bundle of sticks? Probably like three to four hundred times. Like they say it a lot. And then when they have that whole plot line with DC falling in love with Swish and then feeling horrible about it, it's kind of played at the end like he thinks there's something wrong with them. And he's like, it's basically the message is like, oh, no, it's okay because she's a girl. Like, it's not, you know what I mean? Like, the message is that it's not okay to be gay, which I understand at the time it was at. But, but that's, that's all right. an aspect that's not going to age well. But that was something that like really bothered me when I watched this movie. Now, that being said, everything else I said about the movie, except for maybe it being like a top 50 movie <laughs> all time, I definitely put it in a top 10 sports movie all time. But um, it's it's pretty great. So because of, because of that stuff, it, it knocked it down from a satisfactory plus a satisfactory minus. It just it bothered me that much, but not quite enough to make it unsatisfactory because the basketball is really good in this movie. And Gabe Kap- Kaplan's kind of charming. One other thing that I've, I found humorous in this, have you guys ever seen Welcome Back, Cotter? Like yeah. Gabe yeah. Kaplan's only yeah, 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 other yeah. famous turn? Yeah. Okay, do you remember his girlfriend's name? No. No. It's Jan, and he always has these things where he goes to Jan and like goes on this whole diatribe about whatever. Like he does a right. stand-up routine in front of her. Basically, his wife's name is Jan in this, and I found that <laughs> hilarious. Like Gabe Kaplan can only act against actresses named Jan. I don't know. That's it. That's all <laughs> like, he can do. It's like Tony Danza 
can only be called Tony in movies. <laughs> it's it's cause, like the opposite. Yep. He could only call people Jan. So I, I found that charming. Um, Amazing Grace and Chuck is like a masterpiece for children. It, I, it was one of those ones I saw when I was like 11 or 12 and it stuck with me and I really like it. Um, I do got to say, if I recall, the end of that movie is like the president refuses or like basically tells him what you said. Yeah. But then I thought like him and the, the premiere of Russia got back on the phone and actually were able to negotiate to end all of missiles i thought that's how it wound up ending but even that like like he says in the scene like you you can't instantly get rid of them all yeah so but they, they were re- actually they were actually like right ending it. but they still have them at the okay. end of the movie like yeah, they yeah. didn't just disappear right but they were getting they were disarming them yeah which- but then you have to remember like there are still other countries that you know will go after you know all the nonsense like in the, when he talks about the logistics of disarmament like it's just it's really hard once you've made missiles to make yeah. them all go away but one thing i like about that movie is it's like it's first off it is one of those movies that's like a real family movie like a, there's something in there for adults and kids yeah. which a lot of movies especially nowadays can't claim like it happens in some movies but this is one that truly has something for both i liked that as a kid it was actually making an attempt to like explain nuclear war yeah. to me because it's really as a kid at the time you had like a very base understanding of, of what was going on it was just like a lot of fear based stuff and this is a movie that actually like took the attempt to teach the kids I liked the little bit of basketball that they had in it there wasn't much no there's very little but I did like it and I, I absolutely agree like Alex English is amazing he's really good really like, good way better than you would expect way better than he has any right to be frankly <laughs> Yeah, and uh, I liked them holding up the finger. Yeah. <laughs> what was that for? Not a middle finger, but like an index yeah, finger. Yeah, the index finger. Because the kid stopped talking at a certain yeah, point. Yeah, because he's like going on a silent strike. <laughs> yeah. And, that's and they pulled good- it off? Like I'm, I'm actually kind of impressed with that. Well, like, that's that's where that's where it, it actually like pushes the president too, is because like all over the nation, all the kids stopped talking. Yeah, and so it was driving parents crazy, which, was, <laughs> which would absolutely <laughs> be the case. I could see Obama like fucking weighing in on that nowadays if oh, that yeah. actually happened. <laughs> so, but I I found it I found it to be a really great movie. I'm very fond of that movie. I'm just gonna give it a straight up. Excellent. So, um, I haven't seen Fast Break, so that I can't give a grade. But uh, I will. I've been wavering between Satisfactory and Satisfactory Plus for Amazing Grace and Chuck, and it's for a couple reasons. I think I'm going to settle on Satisfactory Plus because the things I liked, I really, really liked. I wish I had seen it as a kid first because I wanted to be charmed by it a lot more than I was. Like I enjoyed it, but I, I wasn't all that charmed. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't have the, and I really wanted to be, and it just didn't have it for me. I didn't like the Jamie Lee Curtis character. I didn't like her performance. She was definitely like a wet, sh- yeah. wet blanket. That was the thing with Fast Break 2. Definite wet blanket character in mm-hmm. the wife. But a half hour in, she's fucking gone until like the last <laughs> the five end. minutes. Yeah. So you're kind of like, oh, thank God. And I thought the movie is probably about 10 to 15 minutes longer than it needs to be. Because it's, it's pretty close to two hours. It's like 112 or 113 minutes. And I feel like you could chop a little bit of the fat out. That is pretty long for a kid's yeah. movie, too. That said, all the stuff I mentioned earlier, I really love about it. I cannot speak highly enough about Alex English. I was so taken aback by him. I was so ready for me to be like sort of laughing and looking for moments where he's good. But knowing he's so 
good. And then uh, I didn't talk about William Peterson as Chuck's father at all, but he's very good as well. And the relationship he has with the kid is surprisingly complex for the type of movie it is. Because he doesn't really understand what he's doing at the start either. Yeah. Yeah. And they have a semi-antagonistic, but also respectful. It's it's a really sweet, good movie. It's good for people with kids. It's especially for kids who don't really understand you know, nuclear weapons and all that. Like it's a really good way to sort of introduce them to the concepts. And it's a, it is a fun movie. I just wanted it to be more playful than it was. I would also, Oh, it's not playful. No, it's not playful at all. And I wanted some (laughs) level of playfulness. Um, one thing that I did like about it is it introduces the idea of, uh, in a way, maybe I'm getting too important with this movie, but it does kind of introduce the idea of nonviolence into it. As for well. children, especially. Yeah. Because like nonviolent protest, it'd be so easy for Chuck to just be like angry or for somebody to get violent about it. And it's yeah. always the, the one act of violence that happens in it. When Alex English's character mm-hmm. dies, it's such a heavy in the movie that like yes. it really plays up the, that nonviolence. It, it, it serves as an exclamation point to show how important it is to, to stay nonviolent. It's, it's a yeah. very good movie. I feel strongly about the satisfactory plus, and I'd probably have it higher if I had seen it first as a kid. Yeah. All right. So fill those seats so we don't have to. So this next episode is a particular favorite of mine. This was me and Brandon and my brother Logan getting into some John Milius movies. John Milius, for those not in the know, directed a couple of movies, wrote a bunch of movies. He They always have like a big war theme. He did a lot of Vietnam stuff. John Milius, I just found out a little piece of trivia that stuck in my mind that helped me pick this episode, which is the big Lebowski, John Goodman, is essentially playing a caricature of John Milius. It's a guy who's all about the military and really militant in the way he dresses, the glasses he chooses, his manner of speaking, but had never been to Vietnam. (laughs) So I, I thought that was kind of funny. And we didn't know it at the time, or I definitely would have brought it up. But this is three movies that John Milius had a hand in making. So enjoy, and we will be back live next week. Tonight, we are hitting the movies of John Milius. Woo! So um, I will be covering the John Milius written bomb when it initially came out, but not later, Apocalypse Now. I'm going to be covering a uh, movie that's kind of been forgotten until the remake a couple of years ago. His uh, 1984 classic, Red Dawn. And I'm going to be covering a John Milius movie, Flight of the Intruder, which most of you have probably never heard of. Or if you have, you've only heard of it and not seen it. Or you're old. <laughs> <laughs> And that's a directed one, right? Yes. Fun yeah. fact, if you Google Flight of the, Flight of the Intruder does not make the top three finishes. Can I, can I Flight of the Concords has to be number one. Yeah, I'm guessing. Okay. Uh, is uh, Flight of the Navigator on there? That's this. So Flight of the Concords is first. You're correct. Flight of the Navigator is second. Flight of the Phoenix. Nope. No? The third is Flight of the Bumblebee. <laughs> that makes <laughs> <up>. <laughs> Apocalypse Now. I know a lot of people have seen it, but maybe there's some people who haven't seen it, so I'll break it down really quick. So we open up with the theme for the theme for the movie, which bookends the beginning and end of it, and a couple of parts in the middle. Jim Morrison's The End. So we open up on Martin Sheen is in a hotel room. 
and he's losing his shit. He is punching a mirror. He has to bandage up his hand. He's talking about how Charlie's waiting and ready. He's got to be ready for Charlie. Finally, he gets his missions handed out. We find out that Martin Sheen has had a very difficult time in Vietnam. Basically, he's finally gone home, which he wanted to do for a long time. And he gets home, but then he realizes he wants to be back in Vietnam. So he can't really be happy ever we've we established very quickly that martin sheen has killed six people that he knows about because he's seen their face as he killed them and so we know that there's more most likely but he can't be a hundred percent sure he gets a mission that gets handed to him by harrison ford yeah he did yeah and the guy from The Godfather 2, I don't know his name, he's a senator in Godfather 2. <laughs> Basically, he has to go after the most decorated soldier in U.S. history, played by Marlon Brando. He has lost his way, he is no longer following orders, and he has gone to complete insanity somewhere in Cambodia. So Martin Sheen's mission is to take a riverboat, pick up his trail, and find where he currently is, and then kill him. So Martin Sheen, he, he catches on to a PT boat, his first step along the river is they wind up going and seeing a guy named Kilgore who delivers the infamous line, I love the smell of napalm in the morning. It smells like victory. Something like that. I might be paraphrasing. There, there's it. nothing else quite like it. Smells like victory. That's right. His, his whole deal right now is he likes to fly in his helicopters in a show of force and play Flight of the Valkyrie and pump it out on loudspeakers so that all the Vietnamese immediately run as soon as they hear it. Bomb the shit out of everybody because he wants to surf because Charlie don't surf. So they go in, they secure a beach after killing a lot of people. We see a brutal death and he's very disgusted at what the Vietnamese do. Ironically, because he's killing everybody so that he can surf at this point and they give the point for them to drop in the PT boat and begin their mission down the river now they run into some hot spots I'm not going to get too in detail and everything but they wind up going to USO show with some playmates which is always enjoyable not topless though I was not really hopeless like I was watching this like seeing the playboy bunnies on the helicopters and like this could really use some uh, titties right now well, you know, they were trying to keep the PG-13 rating. The soldiers are immediately worked into a frenzy and just fuck up the entire USO show and the playmates retreat back into the helicopter and fly off. Now, there's a nice little device in here that's in a lot of movies. Um, whenever somebody's about to die, we see purple flares. This happens throughout the entire movie. When you see purple flares, it means a motherfucker's going down. So that's something I learned from reading IMDb. And... Watched and subsequently, it's totally right. It's you know it's I don't feel it's haze. just the purple flares. There's like a few different. There flares. are a lot of flares, but like when you see the other colors, people don't always die. When there's a purple flare, somebody always dies. Like it's it's a rule in this movie. It happens every single time. The closest is at the end. They have a purple flare just off in the background, but it's meant to give the ambience of like a lot of people are gonna die. So. That's you got to look at that rule as loosely, but basically Coppola was throwing Francis Ford Coppola directed it um, was throwing that out much as the oranges and the Godfather. When you see an orange appear, there's going to be some trouble, and it's the same with the purple flare. So they get back into the boat after the USO show. They wind up 
finding a boat that they think might have Charlie. So they, they basically commandeer the boat and they start looking on it. And there's only supplies. And this guy who clearly doesn't want to be in Vietnam keeps pointing out, you know, there's only rice. There's only all these other supplies. Chickens, dogs. But one of the guys, I think it was Lawrence Fishburne, um, who's 14 years old when he started making this movie. And does not look 14, no. by the way. He looks 17, which mm-hmm. is what his character is supposed to be because he lied to get into war for excitement. He gets an itchy trigger finger because he's nervous, which there's a lot of nervous soldiers in this. He winds up killing everybody. And they find out that what they were really nervous about in hiding was a puppy. Right away, you see the horrors of war, like what it's doing to these people. Eventually, they go down the river and they wind up at the last outpost in Vietnam, like the actual country Vietnam. And it's being led by nobody. They're shooting into the distance. They don't know who they're firing at. They don't know what who they're killing, like what they're exploding. But everybody's just flipping out at this point. A lot of the soldiers are on acid. They're not in the right mind. There's no leadership. It's just, it's it's a boat going around without a stern. I mean, there's no leadership whatsoever. Martin Sheen gets off the boat, um, starts to go into the jungle. He is told by the last remaining members of his crew, because they run into Charlie a couple of times, and they're getting picked off one by one. They said that they're going to see it through. They're going to go to the end. So they wind up going through Cambodia, going further down the river, and they finally find where Marlon Brando is has set up. So they go in, and we find out that Marlon Brando has basically brainwashed everybody there. The uh, the Vietnamese and the Cambodian people are scared shitless of him so they start worshipping him like he's a god. Um, We see a lot of people around who are soldiers who are just blindly following him. They have nobody else to follow. Dennis Hopper plays a character who is photographing the war and he's just completely lost and he's convinced that this guy is some kind of artist because he reads a lot of poetry and we find out that Marlon Brando basically at this point he's done so much that he wants to be or he wants his child to know what he's done in the war. So finally Martin Sheen does what he has to do and he ends Marlon Brando. They would have made him a major for it but he doesn't want to be in vietnam anymore i'm mostly impressed that you compressed a three and a half hour movie into like eight minutes so shout out to you biggs to be fair if it's not the redux version it's two and a half hours (laughs) still though (laughs) that's trying to keep it short we got a three-way here and i'll bring up some more little points but this movie is amazing that's your basic plot line Red Dawn, the 1984 alternate timeline. This is a movie about events that didn't actually happen. Russia was having a the biggest food shortage in like 50 years. They invade Poland. They send a bunch of troops into Cuba and Nicaragua. They take over and actually start a revolution in Mexico, which basically ends to Russia invading the U.S. They start out with uh, Charlie Sheen and sitting in class in high school. And midway through sentence, the teacher looks out the window and sees paratroopers coming down. The teacher goes out of the uh, out of the uh, classroom to see what's going on. The commies shoot him dead and open fire on the classroom. One boy is hanging out the window with a bullet in his head. They're shooting up people in cars like high school kids. I mean, the, they get in their truck. They decide to just get the fuck out of town. But there's a little shop on the edge of town where they sell camping gear, gun ammunition. I mean, they basically take the entire store, put it in this truck, and get the fuck out of town. After about a month, they decide that 
you know, they're going to do a little recon, find out what's happened in town. The Russians had taken over, put a lot of people in a uh, internment camp in the uh, local drive-in theater, which actually included Jed's father. Jed is Patrick Swayze. They visit his father through the fence at the internment camp. And as he's leaving, he screams out, avenge me for no reason. For no reason. Yeah, by he's the way. definitely still alive. They, they're literally having a civil conversation. Everything's fine, and they turn around and go to leave, and out of nowhere, he yells, "Avenge me!" <laughs> like shit wasn't even happening right there. <laughs> they go back into the woods. They decide that they really need to make a stand and try and at least fight for their country for what what's going on. A small patrol, there's only three guys. They're going up reading a sign in the Rocky Mountain Wilderness about the Arapaho National Forest. And the guy's like completely misinterpreting the uh, what the sign actually says. It's like, Teddy Roosevelt found this. There's 40,000 acres of pristine wilderness. Basically, they the guy translates what the sign says into like Teddy Roosevelt fought a brutal war here and killed 35,000 men and I mean, it's just like way off of what you see. Like you're reading the like sign in the background and you're like, no, that's not it at all. But the guy is walking off towards the sign and the uh, the group of men is around and they actually end up killing them. And they're realizing this is how we can fight back. They're actually getting a lot of the people on board in the town. They're like getting people to fight back. Had a scene where they break into the prison camp, basically, and free a lot of the people, handing out AK-47s. Uh, the Russians actually bring in a guy who basically his specialty is hunting down guerrilla leaders. The Wolverines. I haven't even said that yet. The Wolverine. Wolverines! <laughs> they see a uh, convoy of trucks on the road and a couple of boxes of uh, fruit, bread, stuff. And then they've been hungry. I mean, it's been four months. They've been out in the wilderness. And you realize that this was basically a ploy by the Soviets to find out where they're hiding out. They send in three hind helicopters, kill a couple of the main characters, Jennifer Grey. It was a great scene where she passed away. Nobody puts baby in a corner. Oh, they put her in several corners. Nobody puts baby in a corner. <laughs> Wolverines. <laughs> <laughs> if only you could have seen him bite his finger when he said that. <laughs> and then the final climatic scene, they've been putting on this one rock all the names of the Wolverines that had passed along during the way fighting for freedom. They'd put their names on. And he actually wrote his own name on the wall and his brothers. They're going for one last stand into town. The Nicaraguan guy was basically getting ready to resign his post because he's seen the war. He's basically entrenched at this point and he is getting his ass kicked by the Wolverines. Both Charlie Sheen and Patrick Swayze get shot in this scene. They die as Patrick Swayze is carrying off uh, Charlie Sheen's body. Nicaraguan general basically gives him a pass like he knows he's going to die. So he you know, doesn't want to disgrace him at this point. There was one other scene after that, but basically that was the uh, the final moments of this movie. My movie 
was Flight of the Intruder, which is about a bunch of pilots on a Navy aircraft carrier during Vietnam. Would you describe them as intruders? Yes. In fact, they were the they were flying A6 intruders, which were, that's where the name of the movie came from. But are they intruders? I want to know if there's multiple layers going on there here. Is. Well, they are flying yeah. combat missions into Vietnam. No, fuck Northern yeah, they're intruders. Vietnam. I gotta say, I was misled by this because I thought that one of them was an intruder based off of the title. But there are multiple intruders. And William Defoe was in it, so I yes. thought that was a natural. Willem Defoe. He is the titular intruder. Yes. Willem Defoe breaks character and actually is actually a good guy in this movie and does not be the one that betrays everyone. If you consider a good guy, somebody escalated the Vietnam War. In the case of this movie, that was all fine and dandy because it cleared them of court-martial charges. Oh, well, I mean, if you don't well, get that charged it okay. with it, it's not a crime. <laughs> exactly. So, anyway, in the movie, the main character, whose name I cannot remember. Hang on. I've got the Wikipedia <laughs> page Tom ready Bottoms, to go. Bottoms, maybe? Buy me a second. <laughs> I'll find this out. I've got it ready Tom to go. Bottoms. I'm just going with that name. Anyway. Wait, on, it's on not right. Danny Glover? Danny no, Glover no, is no, no. Danny Glover is in it, but he, okay. he plays Hang their on. captain, basically. Danny Glover, Willem Dafoe, Brad Johnson? That's it. Brad, Brad Johnson. Johnson. Okay, yes. cool. Anyway, so in, in the first mission that they actually show in the movie, the main character and his bombardier are flying a mission to bomb what is supposed to be a truck repair depot in northern Vietnam. They drop their bombs obliterate the target which ends up being just a bunch of trees there's absolutely nothing there there's no secondary explosions so as they're flying back home they they're making the comment geez you know we're we're up here bombing nothing because politicians won't let us go after the main targets as they're coming out and flying back towards the sea to get to the aircraft carrier there's a lone vietnamese person who has a hunting rifle and he actually shoots the cockpit of the a6 intruder and kills the bombardier whose name was morgue was his call yeah. sign i actually I remember kinda, that i, I saw kinda, that in wikipedia it, it probably helped that he was played I called by christopher out, rich it probably helped that i called out he's gotta die because his nickname <laughs> is morgue. morgue dead meat <laughs> so so <laughs> it's anyway. not m-o-r-g-u-e they do a little bit of subterfuge yeah, it's they drop the u-e right m-o-r-g yeah because it's short for morgan right morganson that's what wikipedia said. i believe it was i anyway. can't tell you a single character name sure i'm just reading this off of wikipedia and it said morgan quote morgue yeah yeah there you go yeah not as subtle as a purple flare right morgue <laughs> it is not your turn and that is not the Sorry. way to endear yourself to a judge <laughs> that is unbecoming of a man of your character see i told you he didn't make up his mind for the winner ahead of time <laughs> continue you've never, logan you've never so, done this and so he's extremely disillusioned with the war at this point he's put on leave for a couple weeks so he can you know get his bearings back they bring in his new bombardier who is played by Willem Dafoe. I like that. Of course. And Willem Dafoe's character is typical for Willem Dafoe. He's a he's a badass that's been, I have, been through some shit. I have a question. Okay. And and listeners of Montucky Skies will know what I mean when I say this. Is he full of dark whispers? Extremely dark I whispers. I love dark whispers. <laughs> I'm a big fan of dark whispers. In fact, he they, also rides a hobgoblin. <laughs> They they bring up the fact that Willem Dafoe He's is a super soldier of sorts. Yes, he he plays basically an extremely talented bombardier, and they don't go into details why, but everyone seems to both respect and fear him. I'm not gonna they lie to do you. They do go into they, details. They do of go why. into details. Willem Dafoe's character, after gaining the trust 
of the main character tells him dark whispers in dark whispers what happens willem defoe's character dark whispers with his previous pilot was shot down in northern vietnam oh, no. the lightest of whispers <laughs> and and so he's he's telling him what happened he said you know me and my pilot we we had a pact that if one of us goes down the other one's going to make it out well of course the the pilot they actually crash land they make it out of the plane okay as they're scrounging for food in the three or four days it takes them to escape northern Vietnam and get back to U.S. forces, the pilot steps on a landmine and blows off his leg. Oh, snap. Willem Dafoe's trying to help him. He gets it bandaged up. Oh, but, snap. But then some Viet Cong show up and start shooting at him. Oh, snap. And actually kill the pilot. Oh, no. Willem Dafoe, the pilot had told Willem Dafoe, leave me. I'm done for. You You can't save me. You don't so leave Willem a man Dafoe, behind. So Willem Dafoe, honoring his friend's wish... Starts heading out. Shortly after, he decides, wait, what am I doing? I can help carry him out. As he gets back to his pilot, he sees the Vietnamese shoot and kill his friend and pilot. So, Willem Dafoe is obviously looking for some payback against the Vietnamese. And the main character is now also looking for some payback against the Vietnamese since, you know, he flew a plane with his buddy bleeding out right next to him. So, they, they devise a plan. What they're going to do is the next mission they fly... They're supposed to blow up a power plant, and they get eight bombs, eight big heavy bombs to blow up this power plant. And they're talking, you know, we only really need two of them to blow up this power plant. So we've got six of them that we can use for a target of actual importance. And so what they decide to do is they're going to fly over Hanoi and blow up the main depot for the SAM missiles. Am Am I wrong in assuming this is of some dramatic conflict and consequence? Oh, this is before the Vietnam Vietnam War has been escalated. In fact, in this movie, well, I'll get there. So they decide at that, this point they're not allowed to. They yeah. know it's there. The military <laughs> intelligence knows that they're there. They're not allowed to bomb it because they're not allowed to fly over major population centers at this point in the war. Hmm. They are prevented. They're prevented by the politicians. The politicians don't want to see large civilian casualties, so they're not allowed allowing them to do this so anyway they keep they they bomb the power plant they only drop two bombs on it they save their six they fly over hanoi they make one pass they're taking heavy flak fire because obviously it's it's the capital city of north vietnam there's you know heavy air defenses they manage to make it over the target they go to release the bombs bombs don't fall there's no explosions they they get across hanoi they're like what the hell just happened they look out Willem Dafoe says, hey, <laughs> the bombs are still sitting on the wing. They didn't drop. That's why we don't see any explosions. So they have to make, they decide to make another pass over he says, Hanoi. They'll never expect another pass. Yeah. They'll, right? That was they'll a dark never whisper. Ex- that was a dark, dark whisper. whisper. They'll was. never expect someone Dafoe to fly through that hell a second time. Here's something you need to know. Big fan of Willem Dafoe giving dark whispers to people. Big fan. <laughs> So they make a second Passover, take a lot of flack. This time, the bombs drop. Huge explosions. You see SAM missiles, you know, flying off and blowing up other buildings and causing all kinds of secondary damage to everything around there. They're both elated. They manage to make it back. They land on their aircraft carrier and they're immediately arrested by MPs. And their captain is not happy, which, by the way, is Danny Glover. And he's obviously... Is he too old for this shit? He is definitely thinking that he is too old for this shit. I told you you weren't going to get to that joke. (laughs) (laughs) We already done made that joke 34 times in the Predator 2 review. (laughs) Here's all I have to say. Low-hanging fruit is still fruit. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. Sometimes it's the most delicious. That's right. 
So Danny Glover tells them, you know, you guys are getting court-martialed tomorrow. And so they get hauled back to the mainland. There's a court-martial inquiry. They're basically told, there's two ways you're getting out of this. One, you're going to Leavenworth and serving hard time. Or two, you're getting dishonorably discharged from the Navy. And we haven't figured out what's going to happen to you just yet. All of a sudden, Danny Glover's told by the higher-ups, uh, you need to sweep this under the rug. And these charges are getting dropped, and you just need to make sure they keep their mouths shut and don't discuss what's happening. Danny Glover says, well, why? And uh, they tell him, because the North Vietnamese withdrew from the peace talks over the bombing these two guys did, Nixon is now pissed and just initiated Linebacker 2, which is the unrestricted heavy bombing of North Vietnam. And... Because of this, we don't want the commander-in-chief, the president, finding out that we're court-martialing people for doing what he just ordered us to do. To which Danny Glover replies, I'm too old for this shit. <laughs> Almost. I'm too old to be jerked around by the authority. It's, it's in his eyes. It's in his eyes. He doesn't actually say it, but he it's does, in his eyes. He does scream something about rigs and his half-assed like, <laughs> police tactics. I remember that. So then, the next day... Our, our two main characters, Willem Dafoe and the other guy, whose name I still can't remember. Sam Bottoms. <laughs> Sam Bottoms. We'll go with that. Sure. Brad Johnson. <laughs> anyway. so He sounds like a fucking NCAA third division basketball <laughs> coach. <laughs> <laughs> he kind of looks like one, too. <laughs> so they're grounded. They're not allowed to fly this he massive looks, airstrike that's going on. He looks like a low-rent jo- uh, Josh Brolin. Ugh. <laughs> that's not appealing. That's, that's your main character. That's not appealing. <laughs> hey, no dark whispers, Biggs. You are dark whispering me right now. I love I'm seeing dark William Willem Dafoe. I love seeing dark whispers. Do not love receiving dark whispers. <laughs> okay, so there's so now there's this big heavy air mission. They're gonna send out all the A six intruders on the on the navy on the aircraft carrier along with some other ground strike craft. And they're going to try to take out all the SAM sites, all the flak, all the anti-aircraft they can in northern Vietnam to pave the way for the B-52s and other heavy bombers to come in and just level the shit out of everything. Now, our main character and Willem Dafoe are grounded because, you know, Danny Glover's still pissed at him for breaking orders. And so everybody else gets to go out. Well, of course, Danny Glover, being their, their captain, he's actually an active fighter pilot as well so he's in an a6 that gets shot down of course so willem defoe and his pilot buddy now brad johnson that they're gonna go ahead and break ranks and even though they're grounded they're gonna go out there and they're gonna save danny glover because god damn it he is too old for that shit <laughs> so they go out they go out there they they manage to take down the mobile flat gun but they get shot down by a second one which they had not seen Oh, you so gotta now, watch out for the second so one. So they 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 eject from the plane. Willem Dafoe and the other guy are completely far apart. The main character lands over by Danny Glover. Our main character meets up with Danny Glover. He he you know is trying to help him because Danny Glover's too old for that shit. Willem Dafoe meanwhile is crawling around in the grass trying to get a position where he can see exactly what's going on. He runs into a North Vietnamese soldier who shoots him. But Willem Dafoe, being Willem Dafoe, of course, has a big-ass knife with him, and he stabs that North Vietnamese and kills him. Oh, that's the guy. not a knife. But This is a knife. Oh, oh. Crocodile Dundee would have been impressed with oh, this that's knife. A, that's it, a knife? It was a knife. That's a it knife. It was a knife. It was definitely a knife. And Willem Dafoe, in a dark whisper, calls in an airstrike and says, 
Guys, I'm 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 done here. I'm not getting out of this. So I want you to. I'm gonna pop smoke. They got this gun right next to me. A CM a CMU or something. I forget exactly what they call it, but it says it's right next to me. So you just drop those bombs right on top of that smoke. So Willem Dafoe pops his smoke, gets obliterated by some ground attack aircraft, which also take out the mobile flat gun. So now the helicopters can come in and rescue Danny Glover and our main character, who decide that. Hanging around Danny Glover's busted-ass aircraft isn't a good place to get rescued from. I don't know why. I guess maybe they need the cover of trees. So they they hobble over to the tree line. They get behind the trees. They call in support. They say, okay, we're, we're popping smoke right now. Go ahead and drop the line from the helicopter to pick us up. As they're getting ready to, to, to get the line, our main character is talking on the radio, and he gets shot in the hand by another North Vietnamese soldier. And so he realizes that if they try to get out right now, that guy's just going to shoot him as they're getting pulled up to the helicopter. So he hooks Danny Glover up to the helicopter rescue line and uses the opportunity of while Danny Glover's getting pulled up to go ambush that North Vietnamese guy and, and blow him away. And of course, right as Danny Glover's clearing the tree line, this is the moment where he does in fact realize that he is too old for this shit. <laughs> Main character kills the North Vietnamese guy. They drop the line again after they get Danny Glover back on the helicopter. They pick him up, too. They get back to the aircraft carrier. Everything's hunky-dory. End of movie. Okay. So the first obvious point that I got to make here. Red Dawn is a great movie. Flight of the Intruder, pretty good movie. Here's the thing. These movies basically take the idea of war and say, yeah, we should totally go to war. Apocalypse Now, our character, he's trapped behind being a killer and being normal. And in the end, he chooses being normal because he realizes the error of his ways. He's seen what what war has done to him and what it can continue to do to him. And he makes the right decision at the end. To kill Marlon Brando. No. Beyond but that's what that, he does. He, but he refuses to be a major. He drops out of the military. Apocalypse Now is a statement. It's an anti-war statement. Maybe one of the only times that Million has ever made an anti-war statement. There is a lot of war in Apocalypse Now because it's showing how it is. But it also really focuses on what it does to people and how you should react. All right, what I'm going to say is how people react is you should avenge me, <laughs> period. It takes a lot of the elements that show up in Apocalypse Now and flips it right on its head. Okay, so Kilgore is really a brazen individual. I mean, he doesn't take cover when stuff's going down. The colonel is actually basically almost, he's like a Hispanic version of Kilgore. He, I mean, he is walking through town. Bullets are flying by his head. He doesn't give a shit what's going on. It's basically showing the North Vietnamese side of Apocalypse Now. Flight of the Intruder, I have to say, and it's been reviewed by some actual military pilots that were in Vietnam, said that it's an extremely accurate portrayal of what it was like to actually fly an intruder and bomb these completely worthless targets because the politicians couldn't get their heads out of their asses to let them actually bomb stuff that mattered. Plus, Willem Dafoe. 
I'll take your William Defoe and I'll raise it with Marlon Brando, Martin Sheen, Scott Glenn, Lawrence Fishburne. Come on, I haven't even mentioned all the people in this movie. It is an incredible movie done by great actors, by one of our greatest directors to ever direct a movie. I mean, honestly, he was hitting a peak. This was at at the end of his peak in the 70s. And quite frankly, I don't think it's right to overlook this movie when you consider Francis Ford Coppola put himself into financial jeopardy just to finish this movie. It took three years to make this movie because they were under the impression that this might be the only Vietnam movie ever made. So they found a cohesive way to show as much of the Vietnam War as they possibly could, and yet they still managed to string in this commentary. Excellent performances all around. I mean, this movie, is AFI put it on the greatest movies ever made. I mean, there's no greater honor than that. You know what is a greater honor? The Guinness Book of World Records. Red Dawn has the, had the uh, honor of being the most acts of violence of any film of the time. According to their calculations, 134 acts of violence per hour at 2.23 per minute. This is the most bloody movie of the time, up to that time. Hold on, Logan. Is this a Guinness Book of World Records that has two fat twins riding motorcycles? It's the... That's that's quite the honor. Another thing Flight of the Intruder has going for it is it does have a crazy bar scene that does have some campy elements to it, but maintains a serious edge. And their main characters do manage to escape on foot while the MPs are rounding up everybody else. When you put Flight of the into IMDb, it doesn't show up. I have to contest that. <laughs> Wouldn't that be... In some- IMDb, if you put in Flight of the, it doesn't show up? Or it just doesn't show up on your phone? See, this is the problem. Look, We've got a lot of okay, misstatements so get, by somebody who's, Flight of the can't, com- whose movie can't even like... You can't even just talk about your movie. You have to talk about the remake. A movie that was so... Uncomplete that they had to remake it 30 years later. No. There you go. Go ahead and pick Red Dawn, Judge. If you need your movie to be remade just to have the complete story out. Bam! Hey, if you want to... It was so good they had to tell it twice. Mm. Twice. I'd say mine was so good you only had to tell it once. What about Redo? Redo? Redux? When they (laughs) added an hour that they cut out? That's called the director's cut, my friend. How do you cut... An hour and add an it's hour Francis to the movie. <laughs> Motherfucker does what he wants. Least flight of the less, less people watch it. It's like, oh, Hold I'm on. looking at on I on Netflix. I got two and a half hours. I don't know if I got three and a half hours. It doesn't matter. We're not talking about Redux. We're talking about the 1979 classic. There is only one thing that matters. Who run Modern Town? <laughs> I do. <laughs> I guess my final point would be Flight of the Intruder doesn't have no damn dirty dancing or fat Brando in it. That is not a way to sell me. There's not a way to sell me. (laughs) Thank you, because you actually brought up a point that I forgot to bring. Marlon Brando gained 100 pounds, was a legendary, and I do mean legendary, pain in the ass in this movie for such a pivotal role. And yet they film him so that he looks like this giant hulking brute. You don't see his gut once. You see him from the shadows, 
and you see this giant figure who's very menacing. It absolutely works. For all the flaws that could have happened in this movie, they take everything and turn it into a positive. But it doesn't have Harry Dean Stanton saying, Avenge me! Avenge me! That's pretty good. (laughs) Oh, you guys, I'm torn. I'm real torn. This is a battle between the head and the heart. The conscious, the subconscious, and the soul. My conscious mind tells me, you gotta go apocalypse now. My subconscious tells me, says, chase the unknown. Chase what you haven't seen, but what you are now interested in from hearing about it, Flight of the Intruders. My heart tells me, take your childhood action favorite, Red Dawn, and I just can't decide, so I'm gonna walk you through this. Please don't take it personally, but because I haven't seen it, it's gonna be hard for it to beat out the other two. Because Red Dawn and Apocalypse Now are two of my favorite movies. Both of you made some fatal flaws. Brandon, you should not have ever referenced the remake. Because as far as I'm concerned, the remake doesn't exist. Don't forget about advocating violence. This is not your time. (laughs) This is not your time. (laughs) You did not hammer home one of my favorite weird tidbits about the movie. That Harrison Ford plays a man named G. Lucas. Named after George Lucas... Because George Lucas was supposed to direct it. Doesn't mean anything. Just some, just a tidbit that would have been nice to throw out. I'm going to be honest. I didn't realize. <laughs> <laughs> so now I have to choose between the head and the heart. And you know, I'm the type of man who generally believes in intellect and in rationality and logic. And it's hard for me to turn away from that. It's hard for me to resist oh that. Oh God, I feel a butt coming on. <laughs> I need a moment. Let's all take a moment of silence. Do not interrupt my silence or you will automatically lose. This is a dramatic silence. Wolverines! Get it on Valhalla! I have to give an incomplete to Flight of the Intruder because I have not seen it. Apocalypse Now, that is an excellent plus. It is a masterpiece. It is a work of art. Honest to God, it is a better movie than Red Dawn and it deserves to be talked about. But not to be on Mount Valhalla. Here's the difference. A, Red Dawn winning is way funnier. Way funnier. (laughs) (laughs) Also, Apocalypse Now is not part of my childhood and Red Dawn is. That said, Red Dawn is a satisfactory plus in that... Hang on, let me make a case. No, I'm okay with it. I'd sort of win in a way. Yeah, you should. I could take that Apocalypse Now gets the higher grade. The thing is, Red Dawn, while not being a great film, everything I want it to be is what it is. Like, it succeeds in every way for what I want it to be. And because of that, I have to reward it. Plus, because... You can't really make a ton of jokes about Apocalypse Now. Like, the field for jokes is limited. Red Dawn may as well have been a comedy. Apocalypse Now, I absolutely love. I'm not going to give it a plus because there's certain scenes that run just a little too long. That's fair. I, I will say the redux the with the pacing, it's still the same grade for me, which is an excellent. Like, I just, I love this movie. I've watched this movie probably 10 times. I'll probably watch it at least 15 more times before I die. It's a great movie. So Red Dawn, I also really love. I don't think it's nearly the movie that Apocalypse Now No, is. not at all. Here's um, what I will it's, say. It's on, on, well, no, you don't have to justify it because I'm going to make it for you. I also love Red Dawn to the point of where I wasn't helping my case. Yeah. I also forgot my argument I was going to say earlier, which was that Apocalypse Now would have won Best Picture in 1979 if it wasn't for Rocky. Yeah. Which, I mean, you can't argue Rocky. Hmm. It's pretty great. Red Dawn 
Definitely a satisfactory plus. I, yeah. I got to agree with you there. It's great. It's cheesy and it hits all those cheesy notes so great. Here's why it doesn't crack the excellent. For where I see that, where I said there's some scenes that are slow in Apocalypse now, there are scenes that are 10 times slower in Red Dawn. And Brandon, oh, yeah. you got to admit that at least. Like, I bet you anything, there was at least a 20 minute stretch where you were probably staring at your phone or doing something that wasn't red dawn like induced because i and i love red dawn like i will speak like it was great but there are some very slow scenes in it so i'll give that a satisfactory plus because i still enjoy the shit you know what i I love yelling wolverines with those two movies apocalypse now is by almost any measure the better film like it is a true man the difference is if i'm trying to kill a couple hours on like a, a random afternoon I probably choose Red Dawn rather Understood. than Apocalypse. Now. Understood. Flight of the Intruders, I was surprised at. It's probably like a solid satisfactory. Um, it's definitely like a better made movie than Red Dawn, but it doesn't have the cheesy gloriness that is Red Dawn. So while while I did enjoy it and I did think it was a good film that should see, be seen once, I'm probably never going to rewatch it. Whereas like the other two movies are so rewatchable. I mean, you were you knew you were getting in an uphill battle, but you're willing to like you know jump on board anyway. So that's... you did the damn work. Yeah, you you did work, son. Apocalypse Now. I just I watched today unfortunately i didn't get a chance to finish the movie that being said it should be an incomplete but i would give that a solid excellent i mean really everything i watched up to where i had to cut out was brilliant so you were preening on the porch a little bit like (laughs) that's smart that's smart making no i mean it was a great you know there was a lot of great um the version i watched on Netflix. No, it was not. It was the original oh, was 1979. The original. Okay. The uh, audio was a little off. Um, it was really a low as far as volume goes. I mean, I had my and if, stereo way up. And if I could answer that really quick, because you did bring that up. I got it on Blu-ray. It sounds magnificent. And just to back up my case a little bit, they did win an Oscar for sound editing. Like, it, it is, like, really good. Yeah, that probably has to do more with the transfer. Was, yeah, that, that was Netflix's the, problem. Not, yeah, not and I'm, I'm sure it is, because, I mean, but a lot of the monologues that Charlie... Or uh, Martin Sheen had were great. Can I tell you something really fucked up? I don't know if anybody knows this. Sheen has a brother who did all of the voiceover work because Martin Sheen was not available really? by the time they shot that. Yeah, he did not record a single line of monologue in that movie. Do you so know- it's actually Martin Sheen's brother who's only famous for doing a Republican like ad to make it look like Martin Sheen. When it was against Martin Sheen's wishes. <laughs> Do you know uh, Martin Sheen's real name? Anybody here care to I, take I remember it's Estevez. It is Estevez. I, I know, know I've heard name. it, but I cannot remember it. It's Ramon Martin. I didn't know that. Yep, Ramon Martin Estevez. Just All throwing right, that so out So where, where do you grade uh, Red Dawn? Red Dawn is a satisfactory plus. Goddamn right. America. Um, and I agree with you 100%. There is good 20, 25 minutes they could have really cut out of that and really kept the flow of that going. I mean, there was a couple of scenes where they're just, I mean, they weren't really pivotal to the storyline. I mean, it has real pacing issues. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where I'd say, like, the difference between Melius and, and Coppola really is, is like, there are slow scenes for sure in Apocalypse Now, but it's paced in such a way that you can get through it because it is like a slow burn movie. Yeah. 
Whereas like Red Dawn is like super fast action, and then it's just like wait, and that's a long time to wait. Yeah, true that. Um, I got antsy just listening to that. I honestly. I could have gone on for another 20 seconds. I couldn't even take it anymore. And I brought up the uh, the remake, and I enjoyed the remake just because I love the original so much. And there's a lot of, lot of subtle differences between the two, but there's a lot of really great parts that are in both. The pacing of the remake is so much better. I mean, they did cut that down to the 90-minute w- runtime that it should have been. Yeah. Um, that is the highest compliment I will ever give it. <laughs> the only compliment, um, I'm sure. The other thing that I the the couple things I liked about the remake is they did explain a lot of the training montages where they're actually. Training Do you want to me to gorilla. take back your win? Is that what you want to happen? <laughs> <laughs> it's not too late, Judge. <laughs> Fat no, lady hasn't sung yet. There's no hard and fast rules here. I could reconsider one of your previous movies. <laughs> I'm sorry. Man, you I just apologize. totally derailed. I, I apologize. <laughs> almost get a tear in my eyes seeing like the very end scene of the original where it shows the uh the monument rock the i can't remember what they call it like patriot rock or something where it shows the has a stone inscription and it just these kids basically gave their lives and that's one thing that i definitely would say the remake did not capture um and flight of the intruders i I'm going to have to give it incomplete. I saw it when I was younger, but I don't remember any of it. Okay, I'll start with my movie, Flight of the Intruder. I am going to have to grade it based on what it is, which is a a historical fiction. Well, we're assuming fiction because what was supposed to have happened in the movie was swept under the rug. So I'm going to have to give it a satisfactory plus on that. Um, It did have some slow parts. There were a couple parts that could have been better, but it did have a nice mix of both comedy and drama. And dark whispers. And extremely dark whispers from Willem Dafoe. Next, I'm going to go for Apocalypse Now, which this might shock some people. I'm going to give it a satisfactory. It's a great movie for the first two hours. The last half hour for me, every time I watch it, it's just like watching paint dry. You were as soon, out of your yeah, mind. I regret as, nothing about my decision. <laughs> you are as I soon as you. they get to. You're my brother. I love you, but you are out of your mind. You as put soon flight as of the intruders above. Uh, as I said, now. flight of the intruder. I'm grading only as a historical fiction movie. You can grade this as a historical fiction. Apocalypse now, though. Yeah? I mean. Uh, that I mean the the first out of your mind. As soon as they get to where Brando is, it's just like dragging nails across a chalkboard. I cannot stand that portion of the movie. If they just cut that entire portion of the movie, I'd give it an extra point. Of the, point of the movie. I know it's the point of the movie, but it's so goddamn boring to me. Oh my god, dude! So I'm just giving no, it I a satisfactory. Much, I'd much rather see Danny Glover talking about what movie they're gonna play next at the fucking aircraft carrier. That's fucking excitement they literally hey don't forget the minutes. phantom shitter don't forget the phantom yeah shitter. the phantom shitter god damn dude i love you but come on 
How do okay. you Red Dawn? Is that like a not satisfactory? Red Dawn, I am giving a satisfactory plus. God damn right you are. Dude. It is a fun movie. God damn right. Christ, it, it, if it didn't have the slow parts in it, I would give it an excellent. It's a fun movie oh, to watch. So there's it's a fun slow, movie there's to watch. One slow part in Apocalypse Now, and the fucking. But it's not interrupted. AFI it, it gets their to that part, squad. and it's just slower just, than right. shit. I'm just gonna pull back the curtain real quick. <laughs> we try to keep the volume level on the mixing board at one bar, and it was jumping up. Ha- uh, like almost to the top of the bars <laughs> just now. It's because he's out of his fucking mind. That's a loud fucking thing. <laughs> oh, I love you, brother, but you're crazy. Apocalypse Now I've watched three you, times. You're crazy the, for this one. The second and third time, I, I just could I, I Every time I watch Apocalypse Now, I'm just dreading <laughs> watching that last half hour with Marlon Brando because it's just... Ugh. It's just a drag. Rest of the movie, so, I have no problems with. So have we learned any lessons from today? My brother's out of his fucking mind. <laughs> okay, so we've learned your brother's out of his fucking mind. War is bad, and dark whispers are always riveting. I don't think we and learned... Wolverines. Hold on, hold on. I don't think we learned war is bad for Flight of the Intruders. No, we it learned... It definitely for war. Trust me. No, we learned war is bad from Apocalypse Now. Oh, okay. Because Martin Sheen is like, no, fuck war. That's true. That's a par- I pa- I'm paraphrasing, obviously. All right. <laughs> All right. I'm just imagining now Martin Sheen like swaggering up. Nah. I fuck will, war. I will pretend the like mic. there won't be a 20 year argument between me and my brother. <laughs> <laughs> just for the sake of the episode. Brandon, take us home. Fill those seats so we don't have to. Thank you for listening to the Not Safer Network. Check out one of our many other shows, Charles Orr Horror Show, Geek Lantern's Light, Movies with Wrestlers, Real Roulette, The Alien Movie Project, Montucky Skies, and We Had a Good Life.